Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. If I, if I sound a little bit hoarse, it's because for the last three days, I've been doing the audio version of our brand new book. When I say our, my son and I, Zach Turek, recorded or wrote a book called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. It comes out April 5th. I'll be telling you more about it when we get closer to it. But we cover uh, some of the biggest movie franchises, particularly in the superhero world. So we covered movies like Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter. Yes, Harry Potter. You'll be surprised. Star Wars, The Lord of the Rings, Batman, Wonder Woman, and a few other characters. And in recording the audio for this, I tried to <laughs> I tried some of the... So I tried to be in character. I find your lack of faith disturbing. You know, that kind of stuff. So uh, that's why I'm losing my voice here. So you're not going to have to hear me for this uh, radio program and podcast very much because we have someone far more qualified than me to talk about the topic we are going to talk about today. And it's my friend, and he's been on this program several times. It's the great Jay Warner Wallace, Detective Wallace, you know, uh, Jim has been on the program recently because his phenomenal new book, Person of Interest, is really making an impact out there. In fact, it's uh, making an impact like Jesus has made an impact in the sense that Jesus is the most influential human being to ever walk the earth. And that's what Person of Interest does beautifully. Jim points out how Jesus has impacted literature and movies more than any other, art, music, education, science, and even other world religions. That's what Jesus has done in an, unpre in an unprecedented way uh, uh, of all time. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the most impactful human being to ever walk the earth. The only thing I could say how this could happen if Jesus didn't rise from the dead is if somehow the New Testament documents actually put forth a myth somehow, or they were changed in the first three centuries of the church. So that's what we're going to investigate today with my friend Jim Wallace. Jim, how are you? So you want us to believe that your voice is hoarse because you were recording, not, not because you have this incredible New Jersey delivery system, okay, which basically you're screaming. No. Come on, come on, be honest. That's what it is. It's because you probably had a conversation with somebody and the way your normal conversation sounds like it's, 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 it's you know, Let's be honest. That's what caused it. Yeah, but try that for five hours a day for three days in a row. You know, especially <laughs> when you're trying to sound like Darth Vader. You know, you just Darth Vader. I can't even do it. I just came out. But late. I was doing Schmeagel. I did his precious. I was doing all that too because that's Lord of the Rings. Okay, man. Well, first of all, I cannot wait so, to get a copy of this so I could use it against you <laughs> in clips for the next five years <laughs> because that that'll be the worth well, the, the price of admission. I, I think anyway. That yeah. is, but. But but back to the important topic, and that is 
whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead and the documents that we have called the New Testament are actually telling us the truth. And your your uh, first book, Cold Case Christianity, really gets into that. So when you put cold case Christianity before person of interest, I think you take away the main objection to person of interest is because the main objection in my mind would be, oh, sure, Jesus is the most influential human being in history because people think he rose from the dead, but he really didn't. Okay, so so, so that's that's a great that's a great uh, f- first claim, and and you're right. Yeah. You know, when I wrote uh, Cold Case Christianity, that examines everything that's inside the crime scene that I call the New Testament. What is in that scene? What? How do we test it? How do we test the evidence? How do we uh, adjudicate whether a, a, a witness is a witness, and if the witness is reliable? And then person of interest is just the opposite. It's everything outside the New Testament. So those two, mm-hmm. I hope, together are considered for the overall case. But here's what I would say to that. Um, if you can, t- if you think that there is another fictional character that could have this level of influence, if that's the claim, then you hold the burden. Mm. Okay, who would that be? Like, what what fictional mm-hmm. character? Give me an example of anyone who even approximates or comes near the kind of influence. And as a matter of fact, you won't find anybody. <laughs> no, well, how about the guys from like you just did a whole book on on Hollywood heroes? Is it is it Darth mm-hmm. Vader? Is it is it Luke Skywalker? Do you think these folks? have established a worldview that a thousand years from now will find that all of our major categories of, of civilization, art, music, literature, education, science, even other world religions will now bend their knee to Luke Skywalker. I'll tell you what, I'm willing to wait a thousand mm-hmm. years and let's see if that happens. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. So in the end, if you cannot find an example of another <laughs> fictional character that in fact can have the kind of impact that Jesus had, it's reasonable to infer that Jesus is something more than a fictional character. But the same is going to be true for a living human beings on planet Earth. If you can find another living human being who has had this kind of impact on the history of those disciplines, tell me who that is. And you're not going to find anyone. And there's the reason why I think that's also a reasonable inference that Jesus is something more than just another living human being in the history of human beings. So there is a sense in which if you had to ask the question, which of these three things could best account for the world we see today and the kind of influence that we see today, Jesus is a fictional character, or Jesus is another average guy in the first century, or Jesus is the creator of all things and enters into his creation and then it causes this huge ripple effect. It seems to me that of those three options, option three is the most reasonable inference. And that's what we're trying to do with person of interest. But I think you're right. The question is, you know, why do we think I think that really, to be honest, that the only way that he could have this kind of impact is that people were so overwhelmed by what the character of who Jesus was, not in terms of his Mm -hmm. nicety or his humility or his Mm -hmm. meekness, but in terms of the central claim that he was going to go. And, And I want you to think about that for a second. The promise of God in the next life is not just to give us a heaven for good people. That's not it, right? Jesus said this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. He said, believe in God and believe also in me. He says, mm-hmm. in my father's house, there are many rooms. If this were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. These, this, is, this was not a question from people who didn't know about heaven and wanted to know about heaven. This was a question from the lips of people who thought they were going to lose Jesus. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? They want to know where you go. The promise of God in the next life is to reunite those who love Jesus to the master they're missing, I will take mm-hmm. you to myself. The goal isn't a heaven. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right, right. 
and so that kind of a view of who Jesus was, if Jesus is who he said he was, well, then it makes sense that people would center their lives around him, would be inspired in the arts about him, would write about him more than any other person in the history of persons, would actually form a worldview, because he says, go and teach others. That's a very, he didn't say go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them. Well, that, mm-hmm. what if they don't read? Teach them how to read that. What if they don't even have an alphabet? Mm. Then you better invent an alphabet for them. <laughs> this, this inaugurates a teaching culture, an educational culture that eventually gives birth to the sciences. And I'm telling mm. you, that makes more sense if Jesus is who he said he was, because that kind of Jesus, the one that you're longing for, the one that you just want to know, how do I get back to you? How do I get to you? That's the kind of Jesus that can inspire history. Well, that's what we're going to look at. And by the way, Jim, that was a really good answer. I mean, that was. So you're getting a round of applause for that, man, right there. That's the great Jay Warner Wallace, ladies and gentlemen. So put him up against anyone. In fact, when we come back from the break, Jim, I do want to ask you a couple of things before we look at the evidence for the New Testament and particularly the resurrection. I want to I want you to tell us what you think the best objection you've seen to person of interest has been, if you think there are any good ones, because there's been some people nitpicking at it. But has anybody really, really launched something at the book that you go, man, yeah, I I should have done that better. Uh, So right after the break, we're going to do that with the great Jay Warner Wallace. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Jay Warner Wallace, coldcasechristianity.com. That's Case. Christianity.com is written in brand new book, Person of Interest, out for just a few months. And you can also go back and get Cold Case Christianity as well, because that's the book we're going to talk more about today. So don't go anywhere. We're back in just two minutes. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today is Detective Jay Warner Wallace, and we're talking about the evidence for Christianity, particularly the evidence for Jesus rising from the dead and the fact that the New Testament documents are historically reliable. Now, Jim, just before the break, I I, I said there have been people that have tried to take some shots at person of interest if you go to amazon it's almost completely five star for good reason but is there are there are there any things in the book you go you know i wish i had done this better or this or that better has has anybody really come out if any atheist come out and said hey you blew this this is wrong well if there's any book that you write that you don't at the end of it you think well at some point you just stop you stop the project and Uh you submit it to a publisher and not because you feel like, okay, I've reached the apex of my, you know, this is the best thing I've right, ever done. Right. No, because you have a deadline mm-hmm. and you stop and you give it to a publisher. Mm-hmm. And I've always mm-hmm. felt like, wow, if I had an extra, I, I would change this, I would change that. You know, all these things you can second mm-hmm. guess. Uh, but as far as this yeah. book goes, I think it does what we intended it to do. Now, here's the problem. Does, do people in the apologetics world, look, we, we make cases and I'm an, a case maker. I make cases. And if you look at my subtitles on my books, they all pretty much say that, right? A homicide detective makes the case for X. A cold case Mm -hmm. detective makes the case for X. That is not our subtitle here. This is a different kind of book. Uh, I think a case can be made, but this is, this is the subtitle here is why Jesus still matters in a world that rejects the Bible. That's a different kind of claim. So, mm-hmm. so you could argue, and I've seen people say it, this is, this is not the way I would argue for Christianity. Well, <laughs> yeah, 
it's it, to me this is the second this is like piece five of a five book a four book trilogy uh so far that makes a case for christianity from a number of different angles and and the argument's been made well no you, the only because here's my premise for the book if every new testament was destroyed we could actually reconstruct the story of jesus just from the fuse that leads up to the explosion called jesus and the fallout that follows mm -hmm. from the explosion called jesus we do this in every nobody murder case so i give you an example of a nobody murder case and then we turn the corner towards Jesus. And so what this does is it assumes that, look, if we didn't have any New Testaments, you'd still be stuck with the same Jesus you know, because he can be reconstructed from every important dimension of human culture. Now, the people will say, well, no, that's not the way you, you could, you could know nothing about Jesus if you didn't have a New Testament. We ought to be focused on the New Testament. Agreed. <laughs> because everything I'm going mm -hmm. to talk about in my book are people who had a New Testament and it so changed their lives that they memorized it, repeated it, wrote about it, painted about it, sculpted it, you name it, they did it. And we can reconstruct the story of Jesus if every New Testament had been destroyed in this thought experiment that I offer in the first chapter. Now, in the end, whenever I work uh, cases in front of a jury and I don't have a body or any evidence from the crime scene, they will, I've never lost a case, so they will get, uh, provide a conviction. And then when I debrief this jury, and I'll say to them, well, what'd you think? They'll say, well, we thought he was guilty, but that was a good case. That's why we convicted him. But I sure wish I had an eyewitness. Well, it turns out we have eyewitnesses. That's what we're talking about in cold case Christianity, right? I'm not, I'm not gonna write cold case again. I've already written that book. This is right. the companion sure. case. But also I think though, right. Frank, here's the thing. Um, you and I have a deep love for the case for Christianity. What we discover traveling across the country is that the church at large is not maybe as interested as you and I are no. in the details. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the question is, when you write a book that says, here's a book that makes a case for what they think they already believe sufficiently and don't need the case, that I can't even get the church interested in developing a reasonable, evidential, defendable version of Christianity. But this kind of book, I think, brings people in in a way that uh, I'm trying to be creative. It's it's a it's a drama. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a detective drama. It's heavily illustrated. The idea here is how do we introduce something? I can't tell you the number of people who have written to me who don't didn't know anything about me, but they found me through this book, and now they've gone back mm -hmm. and purchased Cold Case Christianity and Forensic Faith in God's right. Crime Scene, and so it becomes mm -hmm. a gateway. I hope. And I think all my books are simply gateway books. I don't, I don't, I stand on the, sh on the shoulders of people who really know something. Okay. I'm just a cold case mm -hmm. detective. I'm trying to assemble the evidence. It's kind of the same way that Lee Strobel would say the same thing, I think. And so I'm trying to be yeah. a gateway mm -hmm. to other people, to other ideas. But I know that for most people in the church, and I, I sadly, I think they're more interested, at least initially, in the crime dramas. Then they'll say, oh, how's mm -hmm. that connected to Christianity? Oh, I see. But I, I think what I'm trying to do is to, enter, to engage a, an audience of the church that will then look seriously at the evidence. And of course, in the end, it's going to come down to the, the New Testament. Why do we think that anything cited by anyone in history in any of these disciplines is actually true? And that's going to come down to making a case for the reliability of the scriptures. And that's an incredibly important thing to do. But here's the other thing. Um, why does Jesus... Look... You influence culture through the arts. We have a tendency to think that you can include and you can influence culture by voting. Of course you can. I mean, we all need to vote. Mm -hmm. But politics are sure. so downstream of the arts that people mm -hmm. learn. Mm -hmm. This is why your book on Hollywood heroes is so important because it turns out that you're far more likely to influence someone's spiritual worldview 
you through a creative movie, which could often just teach a lie, than you are by mm -hmm. making an evidential case like we do typically. It's the arts that we need to start engaging. We're trying to, I'm trying to find a creative way in. And that's what we're trying to do with something like person of interest. All right, well, let's do this because as I said at the top of the program, some people might try and say, yeah, okay, you're right, Jim. It's, it, I can't deny it. Jesus has had an unparalleled impact uh, on our culture in so many ways. The only way I can explain it is people thought he had risen from the dead, but he really didn't. But once that lie blossomed, it, Jesus just took off. He was a real person, but he wasn't God. He didn't rise from the dead. It, it, he just took off. And oh, by the way, Detective Wallace, it's not till 363 AD that the church decides, here are the books we're going to put in the Bible. We're not going to recognize these other gospels, like Gospel of Peter and Gospel of uh, <laughs> Judas and Gospel of uh, of uh, Thomas and all these other Gnostic gospels. We're just going to recognize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, isn't that convenient 300 years later? Now, you have something in cold case Christianity that I, that I think is brilliant, to deal with this issue, it's something you take from your cold case world, and it's called the chain of custody. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, it's so important. So it's at the Council of Laodicea that they have a couple of edicts, a couple of, 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 of statements at that council that really lock in which books of the New Testament are going to be considered canon. But why would you exclude mm -hmm. all that other stuff you talked about? And how do we know that what we have by 363, 364, how do we know that what we have by that time has not been so corrupted. Same thing happens in criminal trials. You know, you have a piece of evidence that's collected in 1980, and then I bring it to trial in 2021. And how do you know if, if it wasn't tampered with in some way mm. uh, 10 years after it was collected or 10 years before we got it into trial? Some evil detective pulls it out of property and it modifies it in some way so it makes the defendant look guilty. That's the claim in trials all the time. And this is, you've seen this if you watched Making of a Murderer, right? Oh, was that blood mm -hmm. really in the car? Was that blood really in the room? Was it, you know, the blood vial's been opened and there's some blood drawn from, you see what I'm talking about. It's pretty, pretty popular in culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing is being leveled against the gospels. We don't know, that's the claim anyway. And this is a claim that someone like Bart Ehrman will make in a book called How Jesus Became God, that the story of Jesus as a simple preaching rabbi gets distorted and magnified and changed over time until finally, the Jesus of history becomes the Christ of Christianity, a miraculous miracle worker who rises from the dead, who was born of a virgin. So the question is, are these claims there at the crime scene? Or did somebody along the way modify the evidence from the crime scene, the New Testament period? And then by the time it gets to a council, to the courtroom, like the council of Laodicea, it's been so utterly tampered with that it cannot be trusted. Well, how we address this in criminal trials is we simply ask, well, who's touched this evidence over the years? There's a custody chain. In other words, everyone who touches the evidence over the years is like a link in the chain that connects the past to the present. And, and each one of these folks, it turns out, have to do some documentation. So your, your CSI at the scene is going to take pictures, write a report, collect the evidence. It's going to be described a certain way. 
The person that picks it up at a property to deliver it to the crime lab is going to make a report. If he passes it on to a detective, he's going to take his own, back in those days, it'd be Polaroids. Okay, if Nobody knows what a Polaroid right. is anymore, but they, yeah, exactly. So they would take the, you know, it could slowly come out of the camera, you know. And so, so uh -huh. they would take these Polaroids. My dad used to have investigative Polaroids. I remember as a kid, he'd have a notebooks, his own personal investigative notebooks, I see, like, like his notes for a, a, a trial. And I remember like turning the pages with all these dead bodies, you know, on Polaroids. And, uh, and so that, to this so you, you take pictures and then you give it to the crime lab. They take pictures. They write a very comprehensive report. I pick it up years later. I'll take pictures. I'll, and now I've got picture after picture and photograph after photograph and report after report describing the nature of the evidence over the years. And that chain of custody, every defense team is going to challenge your chain of custody. They're going to argue that there's a gap right there. I don't know where this was for the four years. It's not, mm -hmm, it's not the crime mm -hmm. lab. It's not reported in the property mm -hmm. room. That's when it got changed. So we have to account for that chain. And so what we do is this is called the chain of custody. And if we can show that the, the images and the reports in the beginning match the ones at the end, then you know how things changed over the entire chain. Well, there, it turns out to be a New Testament chain of custody. And that's the one thing that I was always hoping about cold case that would stick with people, right? Because we mm -hmm. talk about uh, how to test reliability of manuscript evidence, and we talk about it sometimes from the perspective of a manuscript expert or a historian. But most people in our culture have no idea what historians and manuscript, uh, they have no idea, for example, what literary criticism is like. Have to be the discipline has to be explained to them first before you can leverage the discipline to make a case for Christianity. But it turns right. out, that every night people are watching crime shows and they have an innate sense of these kinds of things because they've been watching them since they were kids. Imagine if the only thing you could watch on TV was the work of historians and literary critics. By the time you get to his adulthood, you would know exactly how those disciplines mm -hmm, work. Mm -hmm. Well, they've been doing that with crime shows. So what we're trying to do is to offer the parallels in crime investigations that people get, oh, so if there's a New Testament chain of custody, if I could track the progress of the statements in the gospel to see did the earliest people who talked about, who received the gospel, who then talked about it, did they describe Jesus in a much less spectacular way? In other words, when they talk about Jesus, he's just a preaching rabbi, but he was never born of a virgin. He never rose from the dead. He never worked miracles. That's the question. Or has he consistently been the same kind of Jesus every time he's mm -hmm. ever talked about in the chain? And that's what we're looking mm -hmm. at in the chain of custody. Well, right after the break, we're going to go into detail on the chain of custody because there's a chain of custody from Paul, from John, and from Peter. And uh, Jim is going to unpack that for us right after the break. You're going to be amazed that there's a consistent description of Jesus throughout the early centuries of the church. So the documents written in the first century, as we'll see after the break, were not altered the same guy is the same guy in the first century as he is in the fourth century don't go anywhere we're listening to you're listening to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with frank turek on the american family radio network back in two minutes how to interpret your bible have you ever taken a course in that one of the most important things you can know as a christian the online course that I'll be leading starts this Monday, January 10th. If you hear this after that, you can still join probably for about a week after. But go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. And then the next week, 
The great Dr. Gary Habermas will be teaching his course on the resurrection, another online course you're going to want to be a part of. And we're, we're unveiling today that CIA, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy that we have been actually running every year since 2008, is going to be online in addition to the live one that we're going to do in late July. And the online CIA is going to start this February, just, a, just next month. Uh, and it's unlike any course you've ever taken. In the online CIA, the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy, you will be evaluated by either myself, my guest today, Jay Warner Wallace, Elisa Childers, or Dr. Richard Howe. In other words, you're going to present to us not only are we going to present to you great apologetic information, at least we hope it's great, you're going to present to us and we're going to help you refine your presentation and question answering skills on the online CIA. It's going to be all done via Zoom. We're only taking 24 students. If you want to be a part of that, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and you will see it there. Sign up. We have an early bird special only till January 14th. You can save 20%. Check all that out. Let me go back to my guest, Jay Warner Wallace, Detective Jay Warner Wallace. Jim, just before the break, we were talking about this uh, this chain of custody, and there are three chains, one from Paul, one from John, and one from Peter that you have identified. Tell us a little bit about those and how they affirm that Jesus hasn't been changed throughout the early centuries of the church. So, so here's why this is so important, right? Because it turns out that we don't have early, the, the materials that were used which I think I talk about in person of, in person of interest as well, the technology of papyrus and using the the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the writing instruments that were used, they did not don't they don't fare well, right? And so if we if we carve this on stone, you got a much better chance of, of stone stone existing. But when you're going to pass right. documents, the great thing about it is that documents then become mobile. So the word can get spread very quickly. The bad part about it is that the material uh, de- deteriorates. So the claim has been made by many skeptics that you don't have a like a, a manuscript piece of manuscript evidence about the New Testament until what three hundred years after the end of the Common Era mm. or into AD. So so then how do I know that the first versions that were may have been written that are now lost? We don't have the autographs, the original copies of these gospels. How do we know that those gospels were what we have today? We have to figure out. We have to like fill in that gap, that gap between the life, uh, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the first existing manuscript we have. Because the argument's going to be, yeah, that story of Jesus got changed. And by the time it gets into the council, it's really been changed. Well, the, what we do is we actually start to look and ask the question, well, okay, if it's being transmitted, for example, orally, or it's being transmitted at a period in history where we no longer have that document, who's it being given to? Who's it being taught to? So John, for example, has personal students. Now, people are going to argue about, well, are you sure this is a personal student? Well, every early (laughs) Christian historic historic record identifies these men as the students of John. So I get it. If if you're going to start to to nitpick out, one of the challenges we have is that this is either such a vast conspiracy that it covers 300 years and several generations of people in different regions of the empire who are all cleverly saying the same thing, and they're all lying. Okay. Look, I always say it this way. If That's you've ridiculous. Got, yeah, if you've got yeah. an objection, you say, isn't it yeah. possible, Jim, that this vast multi-generational, uh-huh. multi-geographic conspiracy, when you don't even have a way, it's not like you can communicate in real time like we can today. 
you got to cover that distance, that geographic distance in order to communicate the conspiracy. Okay. Is that possible, Jim? I'm always going to say yes, because anything and everything is possible, but it's not reasonable. And that's the standard we have here. It's not beyond a possible doubt because I could, nothing mm -hmm. is, is beyond a possible doubt. I'm assuming I'm talking to you, Frank, but I'm not, it's quite possible you're an imposter. Okay. At least I can say it's possible. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Okay. But I don't think it's reasonable. Right. So, so I, right. I operate okay. on, by the way, if you operated your life on the basis of what is possible, you'd be frozen in place in fear mm -hmm. because it's quite mm -hmm. possible that someone's going to break into your house tonight. And that sound you mm -hmm. heard, it's possible that's the murderer coming in through your front door. That, mm -hmm. that, that, do you see the problem with this? We operate our yeah. lives on the basis of what's reasonable. So let's just extend that Probability. out. Yeah. Right. Let's extend that out to what we're looking at here. So here's what we know. The history of the church tells us that the first students of John, for example, are Irenaeus, uh, uh, no, sorry, are Polycarp, Papias, and... Um, and um, Oh, now you're, Ignatius. Ignatius. Thank you. Who, who are you thinking of? Yeah. You know, Ignatius. Yeah. Why don't you just, isn't it funny when you say, this is also true of a verse memorization, I notice. If, if I uh -huh. start reciting a verse to you and I make an initial misstep, forget it. The whole, for me, the whole, now I'm, <laughs> That's I, right, the whole thing. I got to If I say over. Irenaeus, yeah. I'm never going to find Ignatius <laughs> in my mind again, right? And so it's Ignatius, Polycarp, and Papias. Right. So these folks uh -huh. are sitting at the feet of John. And what's great about that is we have some of the written material from Ignatius and, and Polycarp, at least. We have seven letters from Ignatius and we have one from Polycarp. And I talk about this in Cold Case Christianity. And the writings of Papias, he's cited by Eusebius later in church history, but we don't have the documents that Eusebius says that Papias wrote. So let's just take Papias off the table for a second. If we just look at what um, Ignatius, almost said Irenaeus again, if what Ignatius and what Papias, I mean, what uh, Polycarp wrote, we can get a view of the Jesus that they were taught by the eyewitness named John. So we can look and say, well, yeah, but when, you know, the earliest people who were taught by John, when they described Jesus, he never rose from the grave and he never was born of a virgin and he never did miracles. All the supernatural stuff's not there. He sounds more like a, just a wise preaching rabbi in the first century. No, no, it turns out when you read Ignatius and you read Polycarp and they're learning this from John, that, that, that they affirm the early in history, they affirm the exact same view of Jesus that John held, that he taught them. And it turns out they had a student, Ignatius and Polycarp, had a student named, guess what, Irenaeus. So we can mm -hmm. look at his work and we can see if he affirms what they, then we can go to the next one. Poly, who is the student, master to student relationship? And you can trace these things down through time. Now, uh, you, you can get a much longer trail, through on Paul's writings, because Paul had two students named uh, Linus, or named, uh, uh, well, first Clement. Clement of Rome is, uh, he mentions mm -hmm. Clement in his letters, and Clement is uh, writes a letter called First Clement. So you can kind of see, well, what's the description? It's very early in history. What is the description that Clement offers, yeah. Clement of Rome, based on what Paul taught? It's about 95 AD. Yeah, it's yeah, very early. So it's pretty early. Yeah. So you can you can look mm -hmm. and see. And so here's, here's the whole problem for, for people who argue that... <clears throat> That Jesus somehow is um, exaggerated over time. Well, it turns out that the earliest descriptions of the first generation of believers who are not eyewitnesses, they're the students of the eyewitnesses, affirms the kind of Jesus we know today. It affirms the Jesus as described by the eyewitnesses. So, so you've got two generations then, and you just keep doing this through time. Now, there's a number, for example, if you go through Peter and Mark, 
And then through Mark establishes uh, the church in North Africa. He picks the first five kind of bishops of that area, first four mm-hmm. bishops of that area. So you can really kind of go through all of that. And that leads you all the way heel to toe, teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student. You can see what they're teaching about Jesus all the way to Eusebius. And that gets you all the way to the period of time that is talked about at the Council of Laodicea. So, so you can trace those, those chain of custodies to see what is changing, if anything, over time. And what's, here's what's great about it. Um, and people will say this to me all the time as a complaint. Well, well, look, Jim, how do you know, though, that that's a good document from, from Ignatius, that that's not been corrupted mm-hmm. also? Because there are longer versions of Ignatius's letters, and there are shorter mm-hmm. versions. We'll use the most redacted version. Are we really going to argue that this conspiracy occurs in Rome? In uh, Southeast Asia, because the, the John line is going to go through Southeast, Southeast Asia. The, the Peter line is going to go through uh, Mark in North Africa. The, the Paul line is going to go through Rome. Are we really going to argue they just happen to be lying the exact same way? And or for is, what reason? Well, well that's, yeah. that's the other thing. And, and remember that <laughs> yeah. it's not as though Jesus is the first significant religious figure in human history who develops a robust worldview that then millions of people follow. The head start was in Hinduism. Indra exists before Jesus. Um, uh, Krishna exists before Jesus. Buddha exists before Jesus. Zoroaster exists before Jesus. None of these folks had the kind of impact that Jesus had on world history, and they had a dramatic head start. Let me just give you an example of that. As I was searching through and looking at the history of education, it turns out that the ancients did educate themselves, and they had a process by which they would educate themselves, sometimes quite robustly. But this view that you and I have of modern universities where there's a body of students that comes to a location where there's a resident faculty that if they pass certain courses of curriculum they're bestowed a document a diploma of graduation that view that kind of university as you know it is born in three places all founded by christ followers bologna paris and oxford and this blows up into a history of of university planting by christ followers so if you do a search look at the historic uh, universities planted by christians and you compare them to the universities planted by Jewish people or Buddhists mm. or Hindus, because there are universities planted by those groups. And they, all three of those groups had a head start on Jesus by centuries. It, 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 there's no comparison. There's probably 10 yeah, it's times, 10 to 1. It's 10 to 1 if you add yeah. up all those groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it, this is, and when we started to do this research, we realized, oh my goodness. It's not just because, again, Jesus tells his disciples from the get-go. One of the earliest documents in Christian history, aside from the Gospels, is a document called the Didache, which is the teaching of the Twelve Apostles to the nations. It was used to catechize because they realized that this is, not, this is a teaching and learning worldview. And that's why we can look at the history of the uh, uh, chain of custody because we're, these are people who felt a duty to teach the next generation, and they held mm. this in high regard because their master said in his parting words, go make disciples, teach them everything I taught you. So it wasn't like, hey, just go preach the gospel. No, mm-hmm. it was transfer information. And that's why the chain of custody is retrievable in Christian history and is so important in making the case. I don't want people to think that we don't have good manuscript evidence. We do. In fact, 43% of the 8,000 New Testament verses 
are in manuscripts earlier than 225 AD. So we do have early manuscripts, but Jim, what you were referring to is the first complete manuscript we have would come from about 300 AD. Is that Sinaiticus? Yeah, well, uh, here's what we tried to do. We, it's been said, you know, for years, it used to be said, oh, you can reconstruct every, all the entire New Testament except for 11 right. verses by the church fathers. And that's not yeah. actually true. We should talk about that after the break. All right, yeah, we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network, the great AFR.net. My name is Frank Turk. My website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it. My guest, Detective J. Warner Wallace, his website, coldchristianity.com. Check him out there. We're back in just two minutes. Sunday, January 16th, Lord willing, I will be at Cottonwood Creek Church in Allen, Texas. Great people there for the morning services. Then the following Thursday, January 20th, University of Texas at Dallas. If you're anywhere near that area, it's open to the public. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And then just a day or two later at the Unapologetic Evangelism Conference in Jacksonville, Texas, Check our website for more. And then we've got a bunch of colleges lined up with University of Kentucky, University of Louisville and Winthrop in uh, the couple of weeks right after that. So check our calendar. If you're in any if you're near any of those places, would love to see you. And now, Jim, you're you're going back on on the road too. my guest, Jay Warner Wallace. Jim, where are you going to be coming up uh, soon? We'll be at Praise Church at an Engage conference in Beaumont on the 29th of January. And then I'm actually at Cottonwood Creek also uh, for the morning services on the 27th of February. And I'll be there for the Reality Apologetics Conference the weekend, the same weekend uh, through Standard Reason. We are there on the 25th and the 26th. And I'll be at um, an event at MTSU, the Middle Tennessee uh, State University, on uh, the 8th of February. That's a nighttime event. It's at 7 p.m. Uh, you can go online. It's at New Vision Baptist Church is putting it on. They've got a great college ministry. So we'll be doing a Q&A there. And that's, a, you know, ton, you, you can go, my calendar is available with your calendar, Frank, at, at CrossExamine. Yeah, so. at, at CrossExamine.org. Yep. So check it all out there. Uh, we're trying to get back out on the road uh, post-COVID, and hopefully this new uh, <laughs> we'll, variant will not we'll will not shut all that down. I know, right? Yeah. Apparently, it, 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 it from what I've been reading, it it's not as uh, drastic in terms of the symptoms, but yes. who knows? Yes. Yeah, and you, this, you don't know these are, We're talking about anymore. Texas here, too, right? So we should be okay. <laughs> we'll oh, see. Texas. Yeah, yeah, they're open. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so that's going to be good. I'm in California, because <laughs> I have, Jim, to, I have if, to look at Texas as my, my model, okay? Because if it's California, that's right. good chance. I mean, they're talking about the Super Bowl being moved, right? Right to, to Texas. I mean, uh, I mean, can you imagine? I know from California. From California, yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, why don't anyway, I, let's, let me say one thing about what you said before the break, which I think is really fascinating. What? It's this idea that, mm-hmm. that a certain percentage of the New Testament can be recovered before two twenty-five. Now, tell me a little bit more about that. You got that from a reliable source, a friend of ours that is Yeah, really that's Dan great. Wallace, who is an amazing scholar at Dallas Theological Seminary. And as you know, Dan has made it his life mission to photograph every extant manuscript from the New Testament. Uh, and he's over, I want to say he's over a quarter million photographs so far. And when he goes to some of these places, some of these obscure monasteries and universities, Sometimes he even discovers new manuscripts that people didn't even know existed. You know, they're they're hidden somewhere. They're they're underneath something. And uh, so Dan is doing the work here. So I got that stat that forty three percent of 
8,000 New Testament verses are in manuscripts earlier than 225 AD from Dan Wallace. Now, wow, that is there was a mistake. Yeah, there was a mistake that we made when we wrote, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. We, uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, my co-author, had long had this stat that you could reconstruct the entire New Testament except for 11 verses from just the quotations of the early church fathers. We later discovered that wasn't true. But then, Jim, you did some research along with David Geisler, Norm's son. And what did you discover about that? Well, I reached out to Norm before he passed about that issue, because when I wrote it in Cold Case, I would have loved to have known what this the numbers were. Dan, for example, had never made that. That would have been a great truth claim uh, to, uh, mm-hmm. to support in uh, Cold Case Christianity, you know, that, that 43% mm-hmm. has been you know before 225. Um, so we, I just needed to know, like, if I, I realized that there were, I was collecting the manuscript, uh, the writings of the church fathers, the anti-Nicene church fathers, not the anti, the anti, the, the pre-Nicene conference church fathers. And the reason why I focus on those is because it seems to me that one of the claims that I always was concerned about as a non-believer, because I became a Christian at 35, when I was first examining this as well, yeah, you know, the power corrupts. And so when the Roman church, you know, when the Roman empire starts to take over Christianity, well, I would expect all kinds of shenanigans to occur. So I thought, okay, well, then mm-hmm. how about let's just trace those leaders of the church who were in place under a, 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 a the persecuted church, the church that was sometimes under, depending on the emperor, some inter- emperors were more tolerant than others, was being chased. Mm-hmm. And they made claims about the manuscripts that they were reading. These are the, the church fathers that precede Constantine making the uh, Christian faith the religion of the empire. Let's just see what they said about it, because now well, the, the, Constantine made it tolerable, right? It well, was the council. The, it, the the Edict of Milan right. basically uh, mm-hmm. removes hostility toward uh, Christianity, and the Edict of Thessalonica makes it the religion of the empire. So I think by that time, the Which, skeptical Jim says, you know what? That's when who knows what they changed at that point. So I want to know what's happening in the first 300 years before any of that nonsense. Okay, right. And so that's what, that's what we're talking at. about today. That's what yeah. we're talking about today mm-hmm. in the chain of custody. So, All right, yeah. so I, right. this, for this new book for a person of interest, I reached out to David, because uh, now that Norm's passed, and he had some great uh, people who he was working with on this, and I cited them in the case notes of this book. And uh, you can see it in the book. It's illustrated every church father who precedes the Council of Nicaea and which, how many books, how many gospels, and how many letters are quoted by that particular church father. There's a a graphic for this. You can see them all standing Mm. with the numbers of gospels they quote and the numbers of letters they quote. And then I went, (coughs) pardon me, I went through I did the research, and he has compiled numbers. Uh, David and his associates have compiled numbers on how many. So this is a much more accurate. So here's what we know, and this is what I talk about in the book. It turns out that about 87% uh, of Matthew, of the Gospel of Matthew, is quoted by the early church fathers prior to the Council of Nicaea, about 935 Mm. verses. Uh, 66% of Mark, about 435 verses, are quoted by these same church leaders. Uh, About 86% of the Gospel of Luke, 990 verses, quoted by these church leaders. And 97% of the Gospel of John, about 859 verses, that are quoted by these early church fathers. So in other words... When we, why is this important? Well, it's not so. I'm not trying to reconstruct in the right order the man. I'm not. I'm like not puzzling that way. My question as an investigator is, what do these quotations? What do these verses they're quoting say about Jesus? 
In other words, are they quoting mm. all this stuff where he's just teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? You know, he's teaching principles, mm -hmm. he's telling some parables, right. or are these church fathers talking about the miracles of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the stuff, because here's my argument, Frank. If, if we had a manuscript record, uh, as we have it today, with the number of copies we have, with the attestation of this, these documents over time, but not every one of these, Jesus is nothing more than just a teaching rabbi. He was never ever anything more. No one ever claimed he worked a miracle. No one ever claimed he rose out of the grave. He's just an ancient sage who's documented at this level that his simple sermons and teachings and parables. There would not be a skeptic in the world who would deny the historicity of Jesus. There wouldn't. He'd be the most not. well documented. Yeah, yeah. If all he is in oh, yeah. every document is simply a, a, a teacher of wisdom, then people would say, well, yeah, of course Jesus lived. Of course this is true. Of yeah, course this anybody, is accurate. This is reliable. Any, but then right, you right. insert anybody a doubt miracle, that, and now suddenly the, there you go. skepticism yeah. enters. This is not about the strength of the eyewitness accounts. It's not about the strength mm -hmm. of the manuscript evidence. Mm -hmm. It's not about the strength of the transmission of the documents. It's about a presuppositional bias against the miraculous. And that's why, and I don't have enough faith to be a, a, an atheist, you spend time talking about miracles. Why? Because it turns out that that anti-miraculous bias that and we and you I think you and I were, it was it was Greg Colquell and I we were with Dan mm. at what, an event in Dallas at Dan Wallace mm -hmm. and we asked him I said, Wallace, said yeah. yeah is there any like why why is there this skepticism about the late dating why do people think that the Gospels are dated so is it based on manuscript evidence something in the manuscript evidence that gives away the fact and he, mm. he said, no, no, it's not. It's it's a bias against the miraculous. It's it's that, that that there's no way in the minds of people who reject anything supernatural that Jesus could accurately predict the destruction of a temple. That has to have been written post-temple destruction. It has to be written post-70. Because there's no way they don't they, they reject the idea of this kind of supernatural prophecy. Also, if you write it later after everyone's dead, well, then you can include these ridiculously unreasonable miracles because there's no one alive mm -hmm. now who could refute them. So, so you could right. never, this is what is preventing people, I think a lot of people, from dating these gospels as early as I believe they were written because they have an anti-supernatural bias that prevents you know, them from I looking at miracles. I asked that same question of Gary Habermas, our mutual friend, who is mm -hmm. probably, not probably, he, he has is. written yes. more on the resurrection than any other yes. human being in history. His magnum opus now is over 5,000 pages. He's working on it. I asked him that same question once, Jim. I said, why do some of these, uh, or most of these New Testament scholars, why did they date the Gospels late? And he gave the same answer. Because I asked him, is there any data that would suggest they are late? And he said, no. They know if they're early, the gig is up. If yeah. it's early, then you can't say that this is mythology in any way. It's too early. Yeah, and now you've got... Go ahead. No, you know this is true. When well, you're working a case like this, yeah. your defense team is going mm -hmm. to attack the one thing that they're trying to look for a cornerstone piece of evidence. If you're wondering what your best piece of evidence is, look and ask yourself the question, what is under the most attack by the defense team? That's my best piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. And this is what's happening mm -hmm. here. The early dating of the scriptures is pivotal for us. And that's why it's under attack constantly. Mm -hmm. What well, you've pointed out uh, that Paul actually quotes Luke 
And that would require Luke to have written his gospel before Paul writes 1 Corinthians. And we know Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in 55 or 56 AD. So what does that mean? What does that mean for Luke? What is Luke written? Well, this is why I think that you've got to put Luke prior to these, well, prior to the, to the mid 50s, because he's quoting it to yeah. the church in Corinth, right? And he's talking about the Lord's Supper and he's quoting it to Timothy in 1 Timothy when he's talking about what is considered scripture. Now, people will argue, well, he's, he's quoting a, an oral tradition. Really? Mm -hmm. He calls it scripture and he puts it alongside mm -hmm. Deuteronomy. If he's not calling it scripture, that might make it make some sense. But if you're going to call this scripture and then you're comparing it to the other thing, which we know at the time is a written scripture, that's reasonable. The great Jay Warner Wallace, ladies and gentlemen, Jim, thanks so much for being on the show. It's coldcasechristianity.com. You got to check him out there. Also, check his calendar on our website, crossexamine.org. You can see him out there. Jim, it's great having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's Jay Warner Wallace, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. Don't forget about the online courses, How to Interpret Your Bible, and a bunch of others. See you next week.